We will hear argument first this morning in Case 2303, Vallejo Madero, uh, United States versus Vallejo Madero. Mr. Gannon. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. <coughs> the Court of Appeals erred in holding that Congress's decision not to extend its Supplemental Security Income Program to Puerto Rico lacks a rational basis. As this Court has recognized, Puerto Rico has a unique tax status vis-a-vis the Federal Government. Puerto Rico's residents and employers contribute to federal unemployment insurance and to the Social Security and Medicare trust funds, and they receive benefits from those programs. But Congress has expressly exempted them from the obligations to pay many forms of federal taxes, including federal income tax in most instances, excise taxes, gift taxes, and estate taxes, which means that much of the revenue that would have flowed into the federal Treasury can instead be tapped by territorial government, which therefore has greater leeway to make different fiscal or economic choices consistent with its distinctive status as a self-governing commonwealth. Congress could reasonably take those considerations into account when deciding that Puerto Rico's residents would receive some federal benefits but not others, and this Court has already recognized as much when it concluded in Torres and Rosario that there is a rational basis for Congress to exclude Puerto Rico's residents from participation in a social welfare program. Of course, it would also be rational for Congress to make changes on either side of its balance between taxes and benefits, and the President has already called on Congress to extend SSI benefits to the residents of Puerto Rico. But whether and how to alter the balances underlying current social welfare policies are decisions that are left to Congress and evaluated under a deferential rational basis standard that this Court should find has been satisfied here. I welcome the Court's questions. Uh, Mr. Gannon, uh, do you think that um, the Territory Clause is enough of a a source of authority for uh, the government or Congress to have a rational basis to do what it's doing? We aren't resting just on the Territory Clause here, Justice Thomas. We agree that the Equal Protection Principle in the Fifth Amendment's Due Process Clause applies here, and there does need to be a rational basis. Um, The fact that the Territory Clause gives Congress a different and unique source of authorities over territories does mean that it is inescapably the case that Congress often legislates differently with respect to a territory than it does with respect to the rest of the country. Well, how Uh, much of your argument depends on that? Uh, I'm trying to sort of figure out whether or not just merely uh, under the Territory Clause, you could — how much could you do? Uh, For example, I give you a different — uh, uh, approach. Um, could you do the same thing to Vermont? I, the question would still be governed by rational basis. And I, well, I'm, I guess, would the test, how different would the test be for Vermont versus Puerto Rico? I don't think the rational basis test would be different. I think the court would still be looking under that deferential screen into whether there is a legitimate governmental interest that's being served by drawing a different line there. And there are federal laws that make state-by-state distinctions. But I do think that the Territory Clause means that it is natural that Congress has often legislated differently with respect to territories. And therefore, there are go- it is going to be um, a-, a more common breakpoint in legislation. But here we think that the reason is deeper because it relates to the balance of federal benefits and burdens that apply in the territory differently than they do uh, in the states. And so 
if Vermont had a different relationship with the federal government um, on the one side, then it might be easier for the federal government to alter it on the other side. Um, And in this instance, it doesn't. Now, Congress always takes into account, it is always legitimate for Congress to take into account the source of federal funding um, associated with a particular program. Sometimes that connection is obvious. In the case of the uh, Medicare and Social Security trust funds, um, that's that's something where there's a one-to-one relationship for refundable tax credits. Um, It's usually um, somebody needs to be filing a federal tax income tax return in order to be eligible for uh, a refundable tax credit, and the connection is sometimes more obvious like that. But in this instance, we think that it is clear, as the Court recognized in Torres and Rosario, that Congress, its relationship with the territory is different, largely in this context of a social welfare benefit program because of the different burdens that the tax, the federal tax structure opposes in Puerto Rico. And that means that there is a smaller tax bite being taken out of the Puerto Rico community by the federal government, which leaves Puerto Rico greater leeway than Vermont would have to deal with this problem in its own fashion. I'm Thank sorry, Does the, no, no, Do the uh, insular cases have anything to do with this litigation? We don't think that they affect the analysis that the Court needs to apply here because we acknowledge that the equal protection component of the Fifth Amendment is applicable here. The insular cases were about whether there are uh, different portions of the Constitution that apply differently to different territories. Um, and here, everybody has acknowledged, this Court has previously held, that the equal protection component of the, of the Fifth Amendment applies to um, Puerto Rico. And therefore, we don't think that the Court needs to address the insular cases here any more than it did last year in Aurelius, where it noted that the Court has repeatedly declined to extend the insular cases. It declared that in Reed against Covert in the 1950s. Counsel, it, if that's true, wh- wh- why shouldn't we just uh, admit that the insular cases were incorrectly decided? Well, I, I think that it, that would not be the Court's normal course to just say that uh, uh, several cases I'm asking for the government's position. I'm not asking uh, for thoughts about the Court's normal course. Well, from, from the government's point of view, uh, if the insular cases are wrong and if you're proceeding on a premise inconsistent with them, why shouldn't we just say what everyone knows to be true? Well, I, I don't think we're proceeding on a premise that's inconsistent with the insular cases because no, — I, 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 I think you've said that you're proceeding on a premise that the Constitution applies fully and I, uh, without with, exception with, in, in respect to this claim, Right. With respect to the equal protection claim, yes. So why not uh, but just that, I don't think that that's the only thing that the, that the insular cases decided. What is the government's position on the insular cases? The government's position on the insular cases is that some of the reasoning and rhetoric there is obviously anathema, has been for decades, if not from the outset, but that, the, that they are not at issue in this case because the conclusion that parts of the Constitution wouldn't apply to Puerto Rico uh, doesn't decide anything that is relevant to this case. Uh, the equal protection component applies here, and, and therefore, just as in Aurelius, the Court doesn't need to say anything else about the insular cases in order to decide this case. Counselor, can I unpackage your arguments? Let's start with Justice Thomas's question. If Congress said, um, Vermont, uh, you have too many needy people, The cost is going to be too great to us. We're not going to pass this law on to Vermont. Would that pass equal protection? 
I think it might. And under what theory? I, un, under the theory of if there is a, a — I mean, it wouldn't be the theory that we're using here, which is that there is a different relationship between — Well, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out the different relationship for this reason. You, it seems to be that what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, cost alone is not enough. Cost plus something else is, yeah. correct? That's correct. We All think right, that so let's look at the plus of that. This program is fully funded by the federal government, fully administered by the federal government. There's no cost to Puerto Rico. There's no cost to any state. And so I don't understand what the different relationship with Puerto Rico has to do with this program, because there's no cost to the government. It's not as if it could take this federal money, Puerto Rico, and distribute it in some other way, or put this money to use in some other way, because the money's going directly to the people, not to the government. So I don't see how that can be a plus with respect to the self-governments of Puerto Rico. That's true, Justice Sotomayor, with respect to the money that's coming back from the federal government to the recipients. Well, it's of not the coming back. It's well, let's go back to that point, okay? As the courts below noted, no, most of the SSI recipients, if not all of them, don't pay taxes. So it's not as if the recipients of this money are any different among themselves. Puerto <laughs> Ricans are citizens. And the Constitution applies to them. Their needy people are being treated different than the needy people in the 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the Northern Mariana Islands. So explain how those people, none of whom pay taxes to the federal government, how are they different? They are different, um, first of all, there may be some taxes from which they are exempt, like the excise taxes, as we do point out. But the reason, the primary reason why they are different is because they live in a community and a locality where there is less tax money being taken by the federal government out of that community to be being taken into the general revenues at the federal level, which is then distributed through various federal benefit programs so and other ways. So what do I do with and the record that I see in the first circuit case, Pena, that shows that Puerto Ricans pay, maybe not excise tax, maybe not income tax, but that they pay as much taxes, other combined taxes, as other states in the Union, meaning it's nice to sort of cherry-pick one tax, but that's true around the country. The government gives some tax benefits to some things and not others. You've got to look at the structure as a whole to see, is there a really substantial difference? But I'm looking at that record, and it shows Puerto Ricans as a community, and all the other taxes they pay, pay more than many states of the union. So I don't know how exempting out one or two taxes 
gets you away from seeing whether the government's distinction is rational based on the need of the citizens who are supposed to receive the money. And the, it, the tax bite that the federal government is taking from the entire community is lower. And so on a per capita basis — It's uh, not. I mean, the Pena case showed it exceeds some other states. The, the aggregate amount of money that is being sent to Washington is greater than in some states, but there are there's a larger community in Puerto Rico that's being taxed. And they are, of course, getting benefits under many federal programs. And so our point here is not — So are the states under yes. many other programs. So you can't compare apples and oranges. I'm sorry, Justice No, I, mean, I just wonder, is that, is that a reasonable, rational, uh, or uh, arbitrary thing to do for Congress to say, you know what, uh, we've discovered a state over here, uh, maybe it's Mississippi, uh, or maybe it's California, for all I know, uh, that when you look at how much money they contribute to Washington, uh, proportionate uh, to the number of SSI things, uh, it's greater than 14 other states. So we cut them out of the program. How long do you think that would last? Well, I don't know how long that would last. Well, but I mean, what's your rationale? But Why is the, that a rational the thing? The rationale is that this is — it is always appropriate for Congress to take account of the general balance of benefits and burdens associated with a particular federal program. And here, this, this program is funded out of general federal revenues, and when the locality at issue pays in less — into that income stream than others do. That means that there is okay. more money That's left. That's rational. Okay. There is that more money left in the Has community. it ever happened? Pardon? Has it ever happened? Has which ever happened? What I was — what we're talking about, that they cut out a state because the proportionate amount is greater. I, they have not done no. that with That's respect never to happened. this program, no. Um, but but, but now, I — Let me add one thing. The thing I would add is there's not a word about Puerto Rico in the statute. It has a definition of the United States. doesn't say anything about Puerto Rico. But there is a relevant sentence in the Federal Relations Act, I think, but you can tell me I'm wrong. It said federal laws not locally inapplicable shall apply to Puerto Rico. Okay. Why is this law locally inapplicable? When even if your theory is right, it's never happened in the case of a state. And there is good reason for applying it. There are a lot of SSI people who, uh, uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, and there is no real connection between the SSI b beneficiaries and federal taxes, and they pay a lot of taxes. So what's your best argument? No, this is locally inapplicable. Why? It's locally inapplicable because the statutory definition makes it inapplicable. It defines the program as being available in the United States. Congress then, as it routinely does with respect to different programs, has specified what that means in this particular context. And I don't think that you should draw any particular inference from the fact that the statutory definition that they use there has to do with the United States. Sometimes when Puerto Rico is included in a program, it's defined as being a state. Um, and sometimes it's defined as not. And what I'm actually thinking is, is I'm not thinking something that simple, and I haven't got it quite worked out. But those words locally inapplicable and the Federal Relations Act were designed to put Puerto Rico in a status that isn't, in practice, quite that of a territory, although it's not a state. It's a commonwealth. It's the Estado Libre Asociado. And no one knows exactly what that is. 
And so shouldn't we, in fact, look at the purpose of the Federal Relations Act and say it takes a little bit more, a little bit more in terms of a good reason to exclude Puerto Rico from a benefit than it would the Marianas and Guam and uh, the other territories that have no such act? Or is it totally irrelevant? Did we tell the United Nations something that wasn't true? We did not tell the United Nations something that wasn't true. And we've said that we think that one of the reasons why this is justified is because it does indeed help promote territorial autonomy because it is related to the fact that as Congress is taking fewer federal tax dollars from the Puerto Rico economy, it leaves greater leeway for the territorial government to have its own tax government, structure. Is this the same government that is bankrupt and that is being run, the economy, by people, some of them anyway, not from Puerto Rico, but from under a law uh, that applies from the mainland to the mainland? And uh, is this the same program uh, that would, in fact, give the people on average who need it $418 a month as opposed to what Puerto Rico can afford to give them, which is $58 a month? It, it is the same program. We think that the PROMESA statute, which was enacted about two months before the benefits that are actually at issue in this case, but we don't, we don't think that that affects the analysis here. PROMESA itself is a temporary bankruptcy measure that was intended to assist in re- restoring Puerto Rico's fiscal economy and its security. It is itself intended to promote autonomy by restoring Puerto Rico's fiscal footing. And therefore, as here, Congress is seeking to make locally applicable laws. It has made the determination. The federal relationship principle here is something that's been overridden by Congress's specific determination with respect to the applicability of this program. Nobody has ever thought that, that Puerto Rico might have been implicitly included by virtue of the statute that you, that you cite, Justice Breyer, and that's why this Court decided in the 1970s um, that, that this particular exclusion was constitutional in Torres. Um, and, and so it, in this context, uh, we think that Puerto Rico does have extra autonomy to deal with this problem precisely because the federal government has taken fewer tax dollars out of that local economy. How how much has the the federal government — maybe there aren't statistics on this — provided assistance and revenue to Puerto Rico? Do do you have any information on that? I I don't have um, aggregate information about how much federal revenues have, have gone to Puerto Rico. Um, especially in recent years. Um, there are some figures in the SEIU amicus brief um, that, um, that parse data from 2004 and 2010 about the net federal expenditures in different jurisdictions. Um, and I think what they show is that Puerto Rico is not being treated as an extreme outlier. Um, they, they show that if you take into account um, federal expenditures in a jurisdiction, subtract out federal um, taxes that were collected from that jurisdiction. So that's the net expenditures in, in the jurisdiction. On a per capita basis, Puerto Rico is receiving less back from the federal government than the district in 17 states, but it's receiving more than 33 other states. And so it's not being treated here as an extreme outlier, but we think it is always appropriate for Congress to take into account this balance of payments consideration, especially against the backdrop of the fact that Puerto Rico as a territory does have its own government. It does have greater wherewithal to 
it's hard to imagine that Puerto Rico has the ability, given that it's in temporary bankruptcy, to do what you say, to be able to raise taxes to help the needy. But what do I do with the fact that the findings, when Puerto Rico was given federal tax exemption, were based on the fact that Congress recognized that the Commonwealth's economy could not sustain further taxation. So Congress itself, when it exempted federal income tax, made a finding that there isn't the ability to do what you say. There isn't, you know, it's illusory to think that the Puerto Rico's local economy could match the federal economy and give those tax resources to its needy. That that was the reason why there shouldn't be two separate tax bites out of the Puerto Rican economy. Um, and so that's why Congress — No, it said that it couldn't sustain further it, taxation. It couldn't sustain the additional layer of federal taxation and therefore have the same reduced capacity to issue income taxes that states would have because they have to add on top of what the federal taxes would otherwise be. And this is why the um, income taxes in Puerto Rico — uh, that the territorial government raises are at, generally at higher rates than states are able to raise because they don't have to take after the federal government has already taken out of that population. Of course, that's not true with respect to FICA. There's still some federal taxes that are being taken out, but they're, um, they're getting full benefits back. And so here we think in the aggregate it's appropriate for Congress to take account of the fact that when there is less total share uh, going into the federal federal treasury that there is uh, less of a total share coming back to Mr. the Gannon, community. Gannon, am I right that that um, theory would enable Congress to exclude Puerto Rico from any benefits program? Well, I, I do think that there are other benefits programs that we have not sought to distinguish um, from this one. Uh, there's a case pending in the First Circuit that involves not just um, SSI, but also SNAP and also the low-income subsidy under Medicare Part D. We have not sought to distinguish those particular benefit programs. I mean, I'm wondering on your theory how any such distinction could be made. It seems as though it's a theory that would apply equally well to any benefits program, so that uh, if, if, if you are correct, the lesson going forward, and maybe Congress does this and maybe it doesn't, um, and you might say it's up to them, but the lesson going forward is Congress can do this whenever it wants. We think that here, um, it, it, the rational basis standard that the Court articulated in Torres and applied in Rosario um, would allow Congress to take into account this consideration that, that there is less tax revenue coming in. There's also the cost of the program. That's the other side of the coin. Um, and we think here it is also promoting local autonomy because this is the type of program that setting aside current um, — the straightened attitude of the current economy there, it is still true as a general matter that there is more autonomy in Puerto Rico to have more tax money available for designing different social benefit programs in a different way than the federal government would otherwise necessarily um, impose or allow Mr. in, Cannon, in that, that context. That answer that you're giving Justice Kagan, it, it's similar um, to the one that you keep saying about Congress taking into account <coughs> revenues coming in and then benefits going out. And I guess I was surprised when Justice Thomas asked you about how much the Territories Clause 
bore on this, you seem to kind of back away a little bit from what you said in your brief, and I understand you're not resting entirely on the Territories Clause, but your answers um, seem to take account of the status of Puerto Rico as a territory. Because otherwise, I don't see why your argument doesn't lead exactly to what Justice Breyer said, which is, well, we're looking at it here in, you know, Mississippi is a poorer state, and so the revenues going into the federal treasury, you know, are really low compared to the others, and we'd be paying, you know, a, a lot out. I mean, I guess I had understood in your brief to say Mississippi would be distinguishable from Puerto Rico based on statehood. Am I — I just want to know based what your position is. Am I misunderstanding your argument? Well, well I, I mean, I think there are two ways in which Mississippi is distinguishable. One is that they don't have the differential um, treatment on the tax side. Um, but secondly, I, it is the case that the territory clause matters because it means that it is — routine for Congress to draw some distinctions with respect to the territories. And the Constitution itself recognizes this as a legitimate dividing line. But if we, if we look back at other equal protection cases, we do think that the Court has acknowledged that Congress can distinguish, even among the states, a case like Hodel, the Surface Mining Act case, had differential effect in different states on the basis of geographic criteria that were defined there. And the Court said that that was just subject to rational basis review. How does the fact that Puerto Rico residents are a politically powerless minority, you're just telling us that, can't protect itself the way Mississippi can, um, and has been subject to, by your own admission right now, a history of discrimination. The insular cases are a prime example of that. Just look at their language. Um, how does this factor into your argument on rational basis? Well, we don't think that there is any heightened scrutiny here. First, the benefit that's at issue here is not something to which there is a fundamental right. The Court made that clear in Schweiker, which was an SSI case. It made it clear that, that the only question there is whether there was a no, suspect class. No, but equal class. protection is. Yes. Um, the Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. They are U.S. citizens, but there is no evidence here linking this exclusion to ethnicity or a well, history of discrimination. How do you it, separate it out? Puerto Ricans are Puerto Ricans. They're Hispanic, and they are routinely denied a political voice. They're powerless politically. Um, All you have to do is, well, listen to some of the rhetoric about Puerto Rico, and you know there has been discrimination shown. Why shouldn't that add to the scrutiny? Well, this is a, this statute classifies on the basis of location, not ethnicity or race. That's why respondent was able to get these benefits while he was living in New York. He's not able to get them while he's living in Puerto Rico. There's no evidence that anyone on the other side has cited that ties this determination in the 1970s about how Puerto Rico would be treated in this benefits program to any of the troubling statements in the insular cases from the early 20th century that came from this court. If you thought that that history prevented um, Congress from drawing any distinctions with respect to the territories, that would that would be a sea change no, in equal protection counsel. law. As um, thank you, counsel. Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, Justice Sotomayor. Uh, Just to finish that thought, no. But a distinction based on citizenship, period. Needy is needy, whether in Puerto Rico or in the mainland. None of the people who receive it on the mainland pay taxes. None of the money is or would go to Puerto Rico for its self-governance. I do think that restrictions have to be rational. And I'm just not quite sure. 
why one would say that it's rational to treat a, uh, a group of people, of citizens, differently from other citizens on the mainland when the need is the same. And we think that's because they're situated in a community where Congress has left more tax revenue there, and that makes a difference. And there is nothing that ties the history of discrimination on the basis of ethnicity to this decision that happened in the 1970s. If if that were thought to be a through line throughout the 20th century, then presumably Congress would not, in 1950, have extended ordinary Social Security to residents of Puerto Rico. Justice Kagan? Uh, Mr. Gannon, you've gone this whole argument barely mentioning Torres or Rosario. Is that because you think that they do not have any precedential effect? Not at all. We think that um, even summary reversals of this Court have precedential effect. Uh, We think that they are correctly decided. Uh, Obviously, we um, have uh, relied on the holding that rational basis review applies here. Um, and that the differential tax treatment and the costs of the program are a rational basis. That's something that Congress has relied on for decades, not just with respect to continuing this and, treatment and yet, on NSSI. And never once did you say to any of these questions, well, that's been asked and answered already by this Court. Well, I think um, it has implicitly been asked and answered by this Court in those two cases. Um, obviously, to the extent that there are arguments that PROMESA or other things have changed, we don't think that they change the underlying considerations that make this rational, which is the balance of benefits and burdens and respecting local autonomy that derives from allowing Puerto Rico to have less of a federal tax bite and therefore an ability to come up with a different system if it chooses to deal with this particular problem. And and one other quick question. I understand that there's legislation in Congress now that would remove this exclusion. Uh, Were Congress to pass that, how would it affect this case? I don't think it would moot this case. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what form it will ultimately pass in if it were to be retroactively applicable. Um, and and extend back to benefits that that were owed between 2013 and 2016, maybe there would be an argument for mootness. I think that it doesn't otherwise affect the constitutional analysis here. I think it would indicate that it's not true to say that the residents of Puerto Rico are politically powerless um, if Congress were to pass a statute like that. Um, and um, But I think that there is still a need for the Court to decide whether rational basis is the appropriate standard here and whether these types of considerations um, would satisfy rational basis because this isn't the only benefit program that would be covered by the First Circuit's analysis. Thank you. Justice Gorsuch? I'd, I'd like to follow up on Torres and Rosario for just a moment. Um, you cited them in your brief uh, as <coughs> pointing out that uh, distinctions based on territory status are generally subject to rational basis review because that distinction between territories and states is in the Constitution. Okay. Is it always the case in the government's view that rational basis applies to distinctions based on territorial status? What if, for example, hypothetically, uh, a statute uh, discriminated against territories could be shown to be the product of invidious racial discrimination? Wouldn't we subject that to strict scrutiny? I think you would, and I, I, I think that the, the, what the court said in those cases 
is that Congress may treat the rational basis applies, and the reason it's applying differently, why it's rational basis, is because there's no fundamental right to this particular social welfare benefit. If there were allegations of racial discrimination or other things that trigger heightened scrutiny, then that would be a reason for the Court to take the analysis differently. Even if the statute on its face distinguished between states and territories only? Um, I mean, I think that uh, you would need a pretty strong record to uh, overcome the the other reasons that uh, that would, might justify that that treatment. But if there were evidence that this were based on um, racial or ethnic um, considerations, then the court would obviously view that differently than it does here. And, and you as don't I was, see anything in Rosario or Torres that foreclosed that conclusion, do you? Um, I don't think so. Thank you. Justice Kavanaugh? In addition to the constitutional text that Justice Thomas and Justice Barrett mentioned, there's also the precedent that Justice Kagan mentioned. I just want to follow up on that and nail down how much you're relying on that. Are you saying that we couldn't rule the other way without overruling those cases? Um, I think that's basically true, Justice Kavanaugh. I don't think that there are um, meaningful differences. Um, Obviously, the reasoning was brief. Um, we don't think uh, — we don't agree with the First Circuit's conclusion that the holdings there are inapplicable, either because the second case involved a block grant. Even Justice Marshall's dissent um, didn't consider that to be um, a sufficient distinction between um, AFDC and SSI for purposes of the difference between those two cases. And we also don't think that the um, — the argument that the Court listed three different reasons in its footnote in Torres that were then repeated in Rosario means that um, that we would need to have evidence about the particular type of economic disruption that would be affected in the local economy in order to rest on those cases. We think that the holding is that rational basis is applicable, and these reasons, especially the benefit of the tax and burdens, the cost and benefits um, analysis associated with local autonomy is sufficient to say that this satisfies the type of rational basis review that the Court um, applied in those two cases. And then one factual question. The respondent here is still eligible for a waiver from paying the 28000 correct? Um, it, under the regulations, he could seek a waiver. Um, there are different criteria for the waiver. I he just has want to not- make sure he's still eligible for the waiver. Um, I, yes, I think he would be able to uh, uh, to seek the waiver. This case arises in an unusual procedural context, um, it, it, and as may, was made clear at the district court level, um, it, it, we did not the SSA did not send him a notice of overpayment, um, which would have triggered his ability to um, to respond in the administrative context. Uh, but um, the regulations would still allow that. Exception. Thank you, Justice Barrett. I just have a, a factual question. So you said the First Circuit's reasoning would apl- uh, would require extending not only SSI benefits to Puerto Ricans, but a variety of other federal benefit programs, to, you know, that for which they may not be currently uh, eligible. Um, and I assume that the reasoning would also require the extension of benefits to some other territories who don't currently receive them. Um, you know, I know the Mariana Islands are getting SSI, maybe not TANF, you know, Guam, et cetera. SSI, I gather, is at about a $2 billion expense, roughly, to send it? In Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico? Um, yes. Do you have a number on what the implications would be of the First Circuit's reasoning if, you know, everything that I just said, extending more benefits to Puerto Rico and to other territories? I, I don't have a number. The number on SSI for the other territories is um, is cited, and, and, and that's actually much smaller. Um, um, it, it, 
but I don't know what the cost of the other benefits programs are, and the challenges there are sometimes um, going to follow from complete exclusions, and sometimes they might just follow from significantly differential treatment. Um, and so the SNAP program and the, the low-income subsidy in Medicare Part D are the two other issues that are at stake in a pending First Circuit case where we have not sought to draw distinctions between SSI and those programs. We have repeated and preserved the arguments that we're making here, mm-hmm. um, but, but we have not tried to otherwise distinguish them. And we don't understand the other side's arguments here to be drawing a line between, for instance, individual benefit programs or block grants that are jointly administered by the federal government and states and territories. Thank you, Mr. Gannon. Thank you, Council. Mr. Ferrey. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Not long ago, Americans with disabilities, especially the poor, were practically excluded from society. The SSI program helped change that, replacing an uneven patchwork of programs with a uniform standard of national support, guaranteeing poor and disabled Americans the autonomy to buy their own food and clothing, move more freely, and live with dignity. But that guarantee is not enjoyed by all Americans. Some are excluded because of where they live in the country. My client, Mr. Vallamadero, an American citizen, qualified for SSI after suffering a debilitating illness while living in New York. His benefits were then revoked solely because he moved to Puerto Rico. We're here today because the government has sued him to recover payments he received while living there even though he remained disabled and unable to work. Congress's decision to exclude the poor and disabled in Puerto Rico is based on the false premise that they are outside the U.S. The Downs Court, the same court that decided Plessy, deemed Puerto Rico foreign for domestic purposes because of the race and ancestry of its people. And as was made clear in Califano v. Gautier Torres, that premise from Downs continues to provide an excuse for Congress to deny equal treatment. As such, the proper basis to examine the exclusion here is heightened scrutiny. But it is also simply irrational to treat Mr. Vallamadero differently just because he's now in Puerto Rico. That is what the lower courts unanimously held. For all relevant purposes, he is the same as similarly situated individuals in the states and the northern Mariana Islands. Tax status is irrelevant. Those poor enough to qualify for SSI pay no federal tax, and they don't have to to qualify. I welcome your questions. Uh, Counsel, uh, just to to help uh, clarify things for me, um, we're talking a lot here about Puerto Rico. Uh, But if you, in equal protection cases, we normally attach the classification to the individual. So let's assume that I concede that Mr. Madero would be classified, uh, let's say, in an ethnic group, and hence you get a heightened scrutiny. Uh, But can you transfer the treatment, uh, the concerns that you have about the treatment of Puerto Rico to a citizen of Puerto Rico or a resident of Puerto Rico 
for equal protection analysis purposes? Yes, Your Honor. I, I believe that treating a citizen uh, as though they're foreign because they happen to reside in Puerto Rico is the issue. Okay, so let's assume that someone who is uh, of Italian descent has lived in New York City all of his life and decides, you know, Puerto Rico is really a nice place. I think I'm going to move to Puerto Rico and assume after that that the exact same thing happens to him as happened to respondent here. Um, but he's Italian. How would you analyze that? Would it be any different? No, the analysis would be the same. So he's you are been- transferring the relationship with Puerto Rico to the individual who happens to reside in Puerto Rico. Yes, that's correct, Your Honor. Do you have any cases in which that has been the case? We, you have equal protection cases involving uh, women or blacks or members of Hispanic groups, etc., Native Americans. In other words, characteristics that attach to the individual. Do you have any where we have transferred the treatment of a state to an individual? I think, Your Honor, that this is a circumstance in which, because of the characterization of these unincorporated territories, anyone who now moves to these unincorporated territories is deemed now to be in a foreign country. And so that is the issue here. So I think that that does highlight um, that even if a non-Puerto Rican moves to Puerto Rico, they are now treated as being outside of their nation. Thank you. Counsel, is there any reason that your argument would not apply to every federal benefit program? In other words, Puerto Puerto Rico, for whatever reason is offered, is excluded from some federal benefit program. It doesn't matter, does it, that this is SSI? Well, I, we, we do think that it matters that this program, which is a federal program administered by the federal government and directed at individuals and, and has absolutely no uh, component that takes into account uh, local conditions or state, whether the state can assist or cannot assist. In fact, if states decide that they want to add additional assistance, This program permits them to do that. This program is unique in that it is a federal program directed at individuals without needing a uh, cooperation from local jurisdictions. When you say unique, does that mean — I mean, I know what unique means. But do you really mean to say that there is no federal benefit program like this one? Well, this one is unique in that it is — it is exclusively federal. There are other programs, for example, the SNAP program that requires a partnership uh, between the federal government and the local jurisdictions. Uh, and so those programs might be seen uh, differently uh, because Congress then has the ability with respect to the territories to act on both sides of that partnership. But that creates another problem because Of course, when Congress is acting on behalf of the territories, 
there is no uh, political fallout if it acts contrary to the interests of the people of those uh, of the territories. Mr. Ferret, to, to, to go back to a, a, some questions that we asked Mr. Gannon about the effect of the territories clause here, it, it, it does seem as though that clause, which Mr. Gannon relied on as part of a larger package, but if we just take that piece of it, that that clause goes pretty far towards authorizing Congress to make rules about the territories, which inevitably means or may inevitably mean to make distinctions between the territories and other parts of the United States. So why shouldn't we understand the clause essentially to resolve this matter? Well, we believe the territory clause was intended for Congress to have the power to provide uh, all rules and regulations respecting the territory acting uh, as a state would within the jurisdiction of a state. And uh, we believe that that was intended to be temporary uh, while the territory was in pupillage. Uh, The problem here is that the insular cases has created a circumstance in which that temporary period has become indefinite. Uh, So there is a concern uh, that the territory clause uh, could potentially be abused in the sense that Congress can step in uh, for an indefinite period uh, without actually guiding uh, the territory towards statehood or if it decides that uh, a territory is to be disposed. So do do I understand that that argument to be that the territories clause has a a sort of implicit expiration date attached to it? Well, I think that the early court decisions certainly view the Territory Clause as being temporary and that the purpose of the Territory Clause was for Congress to guide uh, those territories towards statehood. So, and, and the Court uh, changed that uh, uh, view uh, in the insular cases for the first time uh, uh, deeming these territories, the territories acquired from Spain, to now be unincorporated and therefore not destined for statehood. That's, that's a big claim. Do we need to accept it to rule for you? No, I don't believe so, but I think that it informs uh, the analysis as to how the people of the territories have been excluded. They've been excluded because they are deemed to be outside the United States. There is a contrast between, for example, how Hawaii and Alaska uh, was treated when uh, those states were territories. Uh, We can see that, for example, when the Social Security Act was first passed and uh, provisions that provided for assistance um, included uh, individuals in Hawaii and Alaska but excluded uh, the people of the unincorporated territories. Mr. Ferry. Do we need to overrule Torres and Rosario? Well, I think that uh, the certainly with respect to the uh, applicable standard, I think that Harris seems to make a blanket statement that just the mere fact that the territory clause uh, applies means that any congressional action with respect to Puerto Rico is entitled to 
uh, rational basis review. I don't think that follows. So, yes. You can't yeah. win unless we overrule them, uh, or at least Harris versus Rosario. Uh, there is a — there is a — yes, I, I, I believe that they should be uh, over — certainly this case uh, has received attention that uh, the Gautier Torres and uh, Harris cases just did not receive. So, so whatever yes. the outcome — Just yes or no? Yes. So you, yes okay. or no. Thank you. Uh, that's why I, I wondered. You heard — I was — you lose if it is true, I think, that Congress could exclude Wyoming, Mississippi, any state where the amount of revenue that comes to the federal government from that state divided by what they'll have to pay out in SSI is smaller than most states, because that's the situation that they say justifies Puerto Rico being treated differently. I don't know about that one. I haven't, I haven't really thought through that. Second, if you don't lose on that, you lose on Rosario and, and so forth, unless there's something different about this. All right. At that stage, I thought there are two different things. One is your argument about the insular cases, and that's a big bite <laughs> in this case where it isn't fully argued and so forth. But the other ground was the Federal Relations Act, which was designed to create a special status for Puerto Rico. What I have not done is think that through. And so the government correctly says, well, no one's really argued that here. If you think about it, it doesn't create that big a difference from the standard in Rosario. Why should it? And they have a series of arguments. So there we are. Now, what do you say? Um, Your Honor, so uh, earlier uh, you indicated that the law 600 uh, expressly provides that federal laws are, are to apply to Puerto Rico um, unless not local uh, not locally applicable and um, I think that's I think that's correct that um, there are no local conditions that would warrant not extending uh, SSI to Puerto Rico but in addition local conditions was just not the line that was drawn with respect to the program so the program is entirely uh, unrelated to local conditions. It's also entirely unrelated to the balance of payments between uh, local jurisdictions and the federal government. So that is just not the line that Congress drew when it uh, put in place the SSI program. Cal, our precedent in um, the Harris case had to do with a different program than this SSI. So you said to Justice Barrett that we have to overturn that precedent, but why? Well, with You said you had two grounds, one that rational basis should not apply. There we might have to overturn it. But even if we kept rational basis, isn't your argument that this is just fundamentally different yeah. program? And so — you have to view it under rational basis as a different program? Yes, Justice Sotomayor. The, if, if 
if we look at the program as a partnership, which um, is the type of program that was dealt with in Harris, as a partnership between the federal government and the local jurisdictions to be administered by local jurisdictions, well, then it is distinct. It's, it's not the same case that we have here, where this program is entirely run by the federal government and is directed at individuals, not directed at uh, states and territories. So in that case, there's no need to overturn our precedent. That's correct. Thank you. If a person who is a resident of one of the states brought uh, an action claiming that uh, that person's equal protection rights were violated because he or she was required to pay federal income tax and residents of Puerto Rico are not, what would be the standard of review? Would it be rational basis or would it be something else? Well, I think that uh, under our uh, heightened scrutiny analysis, if the territory is being treated differently, specifically because it's an unincorporated territory and deemed foreign, um, I would I would say that that uh, distinction should then be entitled to heightened scrutiny. And it may very well uh, uh, pass a heightened scrutiny analysis because there might be a compelling reason for treating that territory differently. It might be because it is such a poor jurisdiction. It might be that Congress takes into account that the uh, citizens of that jurisdiction are politically powerless. Does it matter for your argument that the geographic scope of the SSI program is defined the way it is? Suppose it were defined this way. Suppose that uh, a person would be eligible for benefits uh, would, would be ineligible for benefits if the person resided in a state or other part of the United States that was exempt from the federal income tax. Would that be different? Well, if, if the pro- — I'm sorry. If the program were act- specified — Right. So- it says nothing about uh, that it applies to uh, only only to the states and not to — unincorporated territories, uh, any place else within the United States. It simply says that it apply that benefits are available only to persons who reside in a state uh, where they are required to pay federal income tax. If that's the line that was drawn in the statute, then it might very well um, pass a rational basis uh, review. Uh, but this program is meant to assist poor individuals who, in all likelihood, are not the ones that are paying the tax. Council, can I ask a a bigger picture question about the text of the Constitution and our role with respect to the structure? Because I think that's the source of some of the concern here as well as the precedent. You, you make compelling policy arguments, um, but there are parts of the Constitution structure um, that people would want to change. The two senators per, per state uh, discriminates against uh, people in larger states. 
many of uh, in some of those larger states have more minority population. Uh, the Electoral College gives you a slight, just a slight, but a slight advantage if you're in a smaller state, uh, Delaware and Rhode Island, your vote for president counts a little more than your vote if you live in, in New York or California, for example. And Article 4 is, is similar. I mean, it would take a constitutional amendment to change the first two that I mentioned, and actually the Constitution purports to change, prohibit changes to the Senate, but we'll put that aside. But here it leaves it up to Congress, uh, and Congress — has the ability, the role to uh, make changes over time, does not give that authority to this Court. So that's a really big-picture concern that I think is reflected then in the precedent about what is our role with respect to the Territory Clause uh, in terms of structures in the Constitution that may seem anachronistic uh, to some, and the other two I mentioned are things that also seem anachronistic to some. Just your big-picture thoughts on that. I, I think the big picture is that the Constitution promised to citizens a Republican form of government. And the intention, uh, certainly from the cases that the, the, the Court's early cases, were that the problem of a non-Republican form of government in the territories was a temporary one, which would be resolved uh, as these territories were populated and organized and then uh, became states. The, that changed uh, with the insular cases and has created a system in which populations now are held in an indefinite state of territorial status. So the court essentially blessed uh, the possibility of territories remaining territories in an indefinite state without full participation, um, without a full seat at the table, if you will. So it's kind of the, the purpose of the clause, not reflecting the text necessarily, but the purpose of the clause was a time limit I, I of think sorts? I, I, I would agree with you, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, in that it's also in that section uh, of the Constitution dealing with new states. Right. Uh, I agree with that. How do we then figure out that when the when the time is run? I guess you would say well, it, it long since ran in your case. Uh, well, that, I understand that. The certainly it is up to Congress to um, to uh, make states, but I think that um, here on the the court in the insular cases essentially stopped the clock, so that Congress just did not have to consider. Uh, the path of uh, these unincorporated territories. Have we ever held that the Republican form of government uh, provision is judicially enforceable? Um, I, be I believe so. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a what what, what case? Um, I, I can't. I can't. So. Rhode Island. Wasn't there something in Rhode Island? There was something. I'm not sure. Well, that was over. It wasn't. <laughs> yes. I we'll go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> something happened in Rhode Island, Justice Breyer, and I agree, but I'm not sure what the result of that case was. I, it, it, we'll it, look. It, it, it's another it's, small state. <laughs> right. But it, it's, it's certainly a basic premise of the Constitution. Well, I don't know that it follows from that that it's judicially enforceable. I, 
But we'll, we'll check. Would you like us to hold that all federal laws, whether they provide benefits or impose obligations or whether they apply to citizens or to um, a governmental unit, must apply equally to residents of Puerto Rico and residents of the states across the board, equal treatment in every respect? I think I think that there is a certainly a due process right to equal uh, treatment, equal protection. So um, if we're looking at how individuals are being treated, yes, then I would say that, um, that it, it would apply. Can I — so one way to frame your argument, and, and tell me if I'm mischaracterizing it in any way, is because of how you think the Territory Clause should be understood and the um, — and, 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 and that, it, 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 that we should view it as limited, that essentially the question before us is the exact same as if Congress excluded Mississippi from SSI. Is, is that correct? Yes, Justice Kagan. Yes. And, and, and then we would go through whatever analysis we would go through uh, with respect to deciding what the proper standard of review was and how it um, applied — but essentially, your claim is that these are are two equivalent cases. That's correct. And, I think that the source of power just doesn't shouldn't figure in. I think that here we're looking at uh, the equal protection component of the due process clause. And, and tell me once more briefly why you think that's true. You know your best statement as to why the exclusion of Puerto Rico should be treated the same way as the exclusion hypothetical exclusion of Mississippi. Um, because the source of power can't override the rights enshrined in the Constitution. So congressional power under the Territory Clause can't somehow override uh, these protections in the Constitution. Mr. Frey, can I follow up on Justice Kagan's questions and Justice Alito's questions? So you're maintaining that there should be equal treatment across the board, whether you live in Mississippi or Puerto Rico. And Justice Alito asked you if you maintain that benefits, burdens, et cetera, should be the same. So what are the implications of that position for, you know, policies like Puerto Ricans not paying federal income tax? If we accept your position, would that mean that the burdens um, that Mississippians bear, et cetera, also have to apply to Puerto Ricans? I think that the analysis would be the same. In other words, uh, the court would uh, look at that exclusion uh, with heightened scrutiny and determine whether there's a compelling uh, interest for treating uh, that jurisdiction differently. In the same way that uh, Congress could decide to, to treat certain uh, regions uh, of the U.S. Uh, differently for tax purposes in order to encourage development, for, for, uh, for instance. Um, but you see, that's exactly why Justice Barrett's question was exactly why what came into my mind are these words not locally inapplicable, which is different. But I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> I, you see, I don't know what to do with them once they're in my head. I mean, it, it's fairly easy to think of things you might say. You might say uh, Puerto Rico was designed in Law 600 to maintain a kind of independent status, but not totally. Hmm. 
No. And therefore, this isn't applicable locally given that purpose. Or you might say that purpose wasn't the overarching purpose in this instance. So uh, while I often like to look at purposes, I'm at sea in this one. Uh, and, I, and I don't know how you do this thing comparing the Mississippi and Puerto Rico and when it is and when it isn't. Well, I think Law 600 was intended to give a measure of autonomy to Puerto Rico akin to the states without actually extending um, the full participation available to states. Uh, So with respect to um, local self-rule, if you will, there was that autonomy. Uh, Now, obviously, Congress has seen fit to take some of that autonomy back, uh, and it did so with the PROMESA Act. Uh, So this uh, illustrates that Congress certainly had or believes it continues to have that power to uh, provide, uh, delegate its ability to provide needful rules and regulations respecting Puerto Rico, and it can also take some of that back. I don't know how often Congress enacts a statute that explicitly distinguishes residents of one state from another state, but it certainly does enact laws that have the effect of strongly favoring residents of some states and strongly fa- disfavoring residents of, of other states. The uh, one that's been uh, controversial in recent years is the deductibility of state and local taxes. That uh, strongly disfavored my home state of New Jersey, strongly uh, uh uh, strongly favored it when they were deductible, strongly disfavored the president's home, fa- home state of Delaware where there's no income tax. So what is the difference between that and, and this? That, that, that uh, change in the SALT deductions was um, enacted across the board. So the fact that local conditions then uh, you know, the, the result of the uniform application across the board created differences in local conditions doesn't mean that that uh, statute didn't provide uh, equal treatment. Thank you, Council. Um, I feel a little more comfortable now saying that the Guarantee Clause, which guarantees the Republican form of government, uh, we've said it presents a political question. Um, and I wonder if your — the extent to which you relied on it in one of your prior answers, uh, to, to what extent is it, is it key to your argument? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that it's key to the argument, but I think that the Court should take — and the Court has in the past certain, uh, certainly taken into account um, the fact uh, of a uh, an individual or a group's political powerlessness. So, uh, so to the extent that the group that has been targeted is politically powerless, I think uh, has informed the court in the past and, and should do so here. Justice Thomas. Um, so, if I move from uh, uh, Virginia to. Uh, Puerto Rico, 
how do I and 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 lose a certain benefit? Uh, how do I? How could I claim powerlessness? I understand your argument. If you have a lifelong resident of Puerto Rico, but you're saying your arguments also apply to anyone who chooses to locate or relocate to Puerto Rico. And that's the part I don't understand, particularly in the context of your power, powerlessness argument. When, uh, when the resident from Virginia decides to move to Puerto Rico, um, they thereby lose uh, the ability to participate in uh, uh, the, 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 the federal elections that would, uh, would result in a representative uh, in Congress, representative in, uh, in the Senate, and also the ability to vote for president and vice president, uh, all of which then means that that individual has no representative protecting uh, his or her interest while in Puerto Rico. Justice Breyer? Justice Sotomayor? Okay. Justice Gorsuch? Just one quick <clears throat> question on the waiver. That's still possible, correct? Um, the government has pursued my client and has never indicated that it is uh, inclined to grant a waiver. Um, but certainly, if, uh, if we were in an administrative proceeding, um, that is a possibility. The, the, the government um, early on uh, sought to withdraw uh, with prejudice and was not even clear as to whether uh, potential criminal charges were still a possibility. So there was no indication that the government was inclined uh, to consider a waiver. Might you still apply for the waiver if you don't prevail in this case? I, I, I would hope so, yes. Thank you. Justice Barrett? No. Thank you, counsel. A rebuttal, Mr. Gannon? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. If I could just make three points. First, the territories clause, the territory clause does not have an, accept, an, an expiration date. Um, and if it did, the Court's analysis in cases like Aurelius would have been completely different. Um, but the fact that Puerto Rico and other current territories have uncertain future status vis-a-vis -vis the United States is one thing that we think promotes the idea that Congress must necessarily take into account that, among other things, when it is deciding whether to deal differently with territories. So Puerto Rico may be on its way to statehood. It may be on its way to independence. It may be on its way to some other status. Um, but th those are — that is relevant to Congress being able to continue to calibrate the degree of relationship between the federal and territorial polities and economies and fisks. And so that's another reason why being able to promote local autonomy by having a smaller federal tax bite and therefore maybe a, follow, a smaller share in federal benefits is something that is appropriate for Congress to do in this context. Uh, second, um, my friend on the other side has still not, I think, given any reason why there's a special justification for overruling Torres and Rosario. 
We do think that those would be controlling here. Torres was about this particular benefit, and Rosario, I think the fact that it involved um, a block grant program doesn't meaningfully distinguish it, and it didn't suggest, um, since it was drawing from Torres, which was not a block grant program, but actually about this program, SSI, an individual benefit program, the Court didn't seem to think that that was a uh, a reason to draw a distinction. And, and as I mentioned before, neither did Justice Marshall's dissent. And so finally, my friend has forcefully given reasons why SSI should be extended to residents of Puerto Rico because he thinks that would better promote one of the main purposes of the program. And we don't have a quarrel about that. The only question is whether it could be rational for Congress to have taken into account other considerations and decided in this instance that there was a basis for drawing a different line with respect to Puerto Rico. And unless and until Congress alters Puerto Rico's distinct tax treatment, which Respondent and his amici have pointedly not said that it is required to do, we think there is a plausible, rational, and non-invidious basis for Puerto Rico's residents to be excluded from SSI. We urge the Court to reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals. Thank you, Counsel. Counsel, the case is submitted.